I want to call your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you would not mind standing with me. I said on last evening that we look at the glory side of being a preacher, but we don't know that there is a gory side. Second Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. I want to talk about living with a limp. Living with a limp. And looking at the time of the text, you will see that the Apostle Paul is no longer persecuting Saul, but he is now a metamorphosized preaching Paul. And this preaching Paul is a trouble-tossed proclaimer of the Christian gospel. According to Paul, God has honored him with personal experiences that he labels visions and revelations. The genesis point of his visions and revelations was on the Damascus Road, where he saw the glorified Jesus the Christ. And this vision was the necessary prerequisite for his succeeding visions and revelations. I know many of you may not know the name, but you ought to make a note, the late Dr. Sandy F. Ray of Brooklyn, New York, with much intuitive, he said this, because of the ambition, the pedagogy, the zeal, and the enthusiasm of Saul of Tarsus, Saul had won great favor with the echelon of the temple leadership. Because of his connections and his zeal, he was able to get the assignment to persecute the struggling church at Jerusalem. He then got the follow-up assignment to ferret or spy on Christians who had fled from Jerusalem to Damascus for safety. And it was on this reckless assignment that God prepared for a confrontational showdown between Saul and the Lord. The Lord Jesus himself prepared for the showdown by finding himself a perfect ambush site and set up a spiritual roadblock somewhere between the already and the not yet. Somewhere between an irretrievable past and an inconceivable future. The Lord found himself a holy hideout in the sun and set the time for the showdown to be at high noon. And as this sophisticated, proud young man moved along with a small retinue furnished as his escorts, a light flashed upon him, which was more brilliant than the sun at high noon. 
He fell to the ground. He was hermetically or airtightly sealed in as nobody was allowed to hear the conversation. A voice was heard saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou meeting? This meeting was radical and it was metamorphic, whereby he experienced what is called total chimerism, hypostatic union or mystical reciprocal indwelling. In other words, they became a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And because his old name became mutually exclusive with his new regenerated nature, his name was changed from Saul to Paul. That was Paul's first visionary experience. But now it appears that Paul's ultimate experience happened to him 14 years before he wrote 2 Corinthians. Biblical scholars say that Paul was on a preaching tour at the time and was probably in Lystra where he had an an ecstatic, rapturous experience. And this rapturous experience that Paul experienced proved one thing, and that is it's hard to talk about ecstasy. Paul says, I can't tell whether I was in the body or out of the body. All I know is I was caught up into the third heaven, and I heard unrepeatable language. Brothers and sisters, it's hard to talk about rapturous spiritual ecstasy. In order for Paul to talk about this mystical, incomprehensible, rapturous, ecstatic experience, look at what he has to do. He has to back away from it and talk about it in the third person as if it was somebody else, even though he knew it was him. In other words, he says, I knew a man. It's hard to describe ecstasy. And you see, ecstasy is an exalted condition of a spiritual joy and rapture. And ecstatic wonderment is mysterious. And let me, I thought since I was coming to the seminary, I would do a little homework. Uh, Paul Tillich says that a mystery in its truest sense is that which remains a mystery even after revelation. Well, perhaps then that was what the uh, scholar Rudolf Otto was trying to convey when he calls what he had a numinous experience. And because it's hard to talk about mystery and ecstasy, he has to coin some terms and he calls it mysterium tremendum and mysterium fascinosum, meaning that God is so mysterious until he's terrifying and yet at the same time so mysterious mysterious until he's just fascinating. It's hard to talk about ecstasy. Paul says he was caught up and he said I was caught up into the third heaven and the third heaven tells us where and paradise is the nature of the third heaven. Paul says he was rhapsodized and given the exalted favor of perambulating and cascading through the third heaven. And while there, he was given cosmological, heavenly, illuminating information that he could not talk about on planet Earth. And to bridge and make it composite, Paul says, I went to heaven and lived to tell about it. But now this experience could not be described in earthbound rhetoric. It's an inextricable link between Paul's thorn and what has happened to him. 
Well, look at this. The first thing that claims our attention is the reason for the limp. Paul went to the third heaven, but after his third heaven experience was over, he came back down to earth. And when he came back down to earth, God had a good and perfect gift waiting for him. And the good and perfect gift for Paul was crippling pain. Now, the accompaniment to Paul's ecstatic, rapturous experience was pain. Paul says he was given a thorn for his flesh. Whoever heard of affliction as being a gift? And a gift good at that. Can you imagine affliction being a gift? Can you imagine painful affliction as a gift coming from God? In fact, can you believe that this affliction was a grace gift? The question is, what is the reason for the thorn? What was the reason for this grace gift? Well, Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure. And the idea is becoming proud and top heavy and full of self and full of conceit. Paul's thorn was God's gracious antidote for conceit and pride. In other words, Paul was giving suffering in order to keep him from sinning. Paul sat in a dangerous seat for he had an unusual endowment and according to Jewish thought, God was so totally other, so essentially different from man until to get too close to God was fatal and dangerous and they had biblical grounds for their belief. Moses reports that God said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. The record is that Enoch walked with God and God took him. After wrestling at Peniel with the angel, Jacob astonishingly cries out, I've seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. And when Gideon realized who his visitor had been, he cried in terror, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the answer was, peace be to you, do not fear, ye shall not die. When Manoah discovered the messenger who had brought him news of the coming birth of a son was an angel of the Lord, his terrified reaction was, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Are y'all with me today? And brothers and sisters, at this particular juncture, not even one of the 12 disciples had had a third heaven experience the closest they had was when Peter, James, and John witnessed the transfiguration experience, and that was only a glimpse of glory. But Paul said, I had a third heaven experience, and I ascended in peace. But to accompany my short, ecstatic, rapturous experience was ongoing pain. And Paul told me to tell you today, if you don't want accompanying pain, don't have unusual blessings. Paul says, when you juxtapose my unusual endowment with my ecstatic rapturous experience and the thorn in my flesh, you will discover I had one ecstatic rapturous experience, but I've had pain ever since. Are y'all with me? Brothers and sisters, this says that we always have more pain than we have unusual endowments. You see, we have trouble handling ongoing glory. But let me tell you this. Some people wonder why I get all excited in my preaching. Well, 
I had a bone marrow transplant and I'm celebrating 17 years post-transplant from leukemia. But when I was going through my bone marrow transplant, my wife kept reminding me as I had to take all of these medicines, be sure to read the side effects. Well, I've come today to tell you, when you want unusual blessings, when you want rapturous ecstasy, be sure to read the side effects. Are y'all with me? Because there is a component that comes with unusual blessing. And that is unusual pain. And I've discovered something. We, because of our body, we can handle more pain than we can ecstasy. Paul says, now could have fallen prey to the perennial temptations of pride and conceit. But the same Lord who gave me the revelation gifted me with an accompanying affliction. Paul says he gave me a thorn in my flesh. And the reason was so that I would not be above measure. And you do know that if we're not careful, it does not take us long to get lifted in pride. I'm going to say that again. It does not take, in fact, we don't even have to have unusual blessing. We have difficulty handling blessings, period. Are y'all with me? And so Paul says that uh, in spite of my pain, I made a request. And so we go from the reason to the request of the lame. Paul says, for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Now let me interject the fact that there is a lot of conjecturing going on as it relates to what Paul's thorn was. Can I give you some of the conjectures you see Paul's thorn is what uh, is called opaque it's an enigma it's obscure it's puzzling and some say it was physical weariness some say physical pain some say opposition some say slander others say severe prostrating headaches some say epilepsy some say carnal temptation some say malarial fever some say Jewish rejection of the gospel some say disorder some say that there was a disorder of the nervous system some say deficient speech some say bodily disfigurement but then most say he suffered from chronic ophthalmia which is an inflammation of the eyes which was brought on by him being blinded on the Damascus road now one thing we know and that is we don't know seemingly the Bible is silent about Paul's thorn because if it had been identifiable, then when we have pain and it was not the same pain that Paul had, then we would not think it to be a thorn. But thorns are still in existence. C can you look at somebody and tell them thorns are still in existence? Now, let me tell you something. Any God-given pain or thorn or affliction that fights to neutralize and becomes an antidote for arrogance, that's a thorn. Are y'all with me? Now, brothers and sisters, understand this. And that is, 
The other thing we know is this. Even though we don't know, what we do know is it hurt. Now, now we, we don't know what it was. But the one thing we do know, it did hurt. For Paul says three times, I besought the Lord and besought means to the same word as paraclete. When he called the Lord alongside and what he wanted was substitution and deliverance from pain. Now, let me just tell you something. And that is uh, pain accompanies ecstasy and unusual blessings. And the greater your ecstasy, the greater will be your pain. That's why I said be sure to check out the side effects of unusual blessings. Well, somebody, they, they don't seem to know who it was. But somebody has sagaciously said, with new levels come new devils. And, and then somebody said, new devils are like babies, kids. They don't die, they just multiply. Well, in my, in my sanctified imagination, I can imagine that, that Paul, after calling the Lord alongside of him, uh, you know he was an erudite scholar, and I'm sure he confronted the Lord with logical, inductive, or deductive, a priori reasoning, and he says, oh Lord, this limp will greatly handicap me and reduce my capacity to promote the Christian gospel. He said, how can I rightly challenge the churches at Ephesus and Colossia and Thessalonica and Corinth and Rome with this thorn? How can I make three world missionaries journeys with this thorn in my flesh? Now, there were some things that Paul did not know. And Paul didn't know that even though his trouble was troublesome, it did not render him ineffective. What Paul didn't know was what we don't seem to know, and that is effectiveness or ineffectiveness is not based upon our ability. And the reason is because God has all the ability that he needs. Well, let me give you what Johnny Cochran calls prima facie or indisputable evidence. My, my father, who's gone on to glory, uh, he, he, had, uh, he graduated from the eighth grade at the age of 17 because he had to plow in the field. But my father did not allow that to keep him from becoming a student. And so you won't believe what my father talked about as a eighth grade at a one-room school. He had the nerve to talk to me about ex nihilo. Daddy said that, that God is omniscient, he's omnisapient, and there is a difference, you know, there is a word we don't hear much about, omnisapience. Now, omniscience is all-knowing, but now omnisapience is all-wise, and there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Old people said it like this, it is Wisdom that teaches knowledge how to behave. And so God being both omniscient, omnisapient, and omnipotent can handle what we can't handle. And daddy said, 
that we cannot handle the ram of the ex nihilo. Well, daddy said it like this. We can't handle nothingness because when we look at nothingness, all we see is nothing because nothing has nothing to work with. You see, you, you can't do nothing because nothing has nothing to do. You can't prove nothing because nothing has nothing to prove. You can't, I'm talking about my daddy now. You can't use nothing because nothing has nothing to use. You can't own nothing because nothing has nothing to own. You can't feel nothing because nothing has nothing to feel. You can't say nothing because nothing has nothing to say. You can't see nothing because nothing has nothing to see. You can't hear nothing because nothing has nothing to hear. You can't buy nothing because nothing has nothing to buy. You can't add nothing because nothing has nothing to add. You can't subtract nothing because nothing has nothing to subtract. You can't multiply nothing nothing because nothing has nothing to subtract you can't divide nothing because nothing has nothing to divide but nothing this is where God got started now 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 with with theological intuition can I tell you what the old preacher would say old preacher said that because God is able to handle the realm of nothingness God walked out of nowhere and stood on the balcony of nothingness and reached out into nowhere and from nowhere caught something and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. He spoke to nothing and night, nothing came running from behind the curtains of eternity, outrunning sound, covering more distant than darkness. God, he is just able. Well, well, let, let me tell, let me tell you students something. Let, let me, let me tell you something, students. Can I tell you? Don't, don't, don't look at the professors because they, 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 look at me now. That, that, there are, that, there are some what are called shouting words. There are some shouting words that when you hear those words, you don't keep your seat. Well, the first shouting word is Jesus. That, that, that's the first shouting word. A- and then the second word is is. You see, Jesus is is. I'm sorry, professors. He was is and he will always be is because he is so much is until he can never be was or shall be. And would you believe, and would you believe, listen to this, would you believe that the only time any person of the Godhead ever used the term was, was Jesus. And guess what he said? I was dead. And and then, and then this last word, that's a shouting word. In fact, just kind of wave your hand. In fact, kind of make a, a lot of noise. And guess what that word is? Able. He is. And so consequently, because he is able, he don't need you. He's got all of the ability that he needs. But what he is looking from us is availability. And what he will do is he will take our availability with his ability and we will become walking doxologies of praise. Do I have a witness? 
uh, look at this. Look at this. Let, let me try to hurry. Uh, Paul wanted deliverance. And he was looking for God. But what he didn't do uh, is he didn't look at pain anamorphically. In other words, he looked at pain straight on. And when he looked at pain straight on, it became troublesome. But had he looked at it and you go down a little further and you would discover he did look from the side. And when he looks from the side, he looks from the side of eternity. And what happens is when you look from the side of eternity, then you will discover that pain becomes dwarf and becomes light of fiction. Are y'all with me? And so what happens is God with his omnipotent Jehovistic hand and his omnipotent metamorphosizing power, he takes our pain and turns them into a cocoon. And you know what happens in a cocoon? It's more metamorphosized. The altar of the nature of it is caused to die. There was some quickening, enlivening, transforming, strengthening, beautifying, and even on some untying and set free. Well, let me give you this story. Story is that uh, there was a woman, this is a news story in Dallas, that a woman was abducted from the North Park shopping mall. And uh, by two men, they wrapped her in duct tape and wrapped her in a blanket, stuffed her in the trunk of the car. By her own testimony, it seemed that their intent was to rape, rob, and kill her. They get to the outskirts of Dallas, and for some unmentioned reason, they take her out and dump her in a ditch. When she lands in the ditch, she starts to murmur and complain to God and says, God, you mean to tell me I'm your child? I've been serving you these many years, and now you're going to let me die out here in a ditch all by myself. While she murmurs and complains, you won't believe what happens. She hears the sound of thunder, lightning, and then she feels pouring rain. Begins to complain and murmur again. She says, Lord, you mean to tell me I'm your child? You're going to not only let me die in a ditch by myself, now you're going to let me die in a storm. While she was murmuring and complaining, you won't believe what happened. The water from the rain got between her body and the duct tape. And she was able, because of the rain... To wiggle her way free. When she got home, she told her family, God had to send a storm in order to set me free. And so brothers and sisters, all I'm trying, don't curse your storms. Because God can use it to set you free. Well, let me close. Let me close. Let me close. You know, many times when... We request something from the Lord and, and people have lied and said that uh, God won't say no. But but this text proves that there comes a time that the God, see, God is not our grandfather. See, grandfather will just, you know, but but not but not fathers. And so Paul says, I, I went to the Lord and uh, he said, now, I'm not going to respond with an explanation. And the reason why God didn't respond with an explanation, and uh, scholars, please forgive me, 
but uh, I have to use some language that I got from my forefathers to tell you about God. Can I tell you? Jesus said, I don't have to explain nothing. And the reason he don't have to explain is because he's God all by himself. Are y'all with me? He said, but, but uh, you want substitution, but what I'm not going to give you is substitution. I'm going to give you something to help you live with your limb. I'm not going to give you an explanation, but I'm going to give you a promise. And my promise is my grace is sufficient. And I don't know whether you've been there, but, but I had to deal with uh, the promise of God. When I went through my transplant, uh, I wondered why I came down with leukemia and the Lord did not give me an explanation. But he did give me a promise because the doctor told me I could die anywhere in the procedure as I had my bone marrow transplant. But guess what? God gave me a promise. And let me tell you what kind of promise he gave me. It's called a palindrome promise. That, that, that's a good word, isn't it? Anybody know what palindrome is? Well, maybe somebody don't know. Let me give it to you like this. If you write the word level, you can read level forward and it spells level. And if you spell it backwards, it spells level. That's palindrome. Well, God gave, the Lord gave me a palindrome promise. You can read it forward or backwards, and it comes out meaning the same. Now, you're looking at me strange and funny, so I got to prove my point. Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is forward, isn't it? Can I read it backwards? Thee forsake nor thee leave, never will I. Well, let, let, me, let me give it to you like this as I get ready to close. And, and you know, us Baptists preach, you know, we, we say that about four or five times. So if you give me about two basketball minutes, I'll be through. Most of us, we want exemption from pain. But nobody gets exemption from pain now here it is preachers here it is the lord gives preachers pain and a limp you know why so that you can have rapport and sympathetic understanding to the crowd to whom you must preach let me give you a definition of a local church it's a limping preacher Amidst crippled saints. Are y'all with me? And so, did you not know, brothers and sisters, uh, he won't give us exemption from pain, but he gives us divine enablement. He gives us an humble crippling, but he also gives us a heavenly crutch. My grace is sufficient. 
Well, let me give you this story that E.K. told, and I, I'm through. E.K. tells the story that a uh, man went to buy a Rolls Royce. And uh, when he buys the Rolls Royce, he has a cashier's check for the whole amount. It's about the time that he was getting ready to drive off the floor. He stops and gets out and asks the salesman, what is the horsepower of this Rolls Royce? The salesman said, well, you know, this is Rolls Royce. And uh, nobody really asked the horsepower, you know, of a Rolls Royce. He said, well, I tell you what, if you can't tell me the horsepower, the deal is off. And uh, so he goes to the manager and says, listen, I got a cashier's check for the whole amount of this Rolls Royce. Don't want to lose a sale. He said that uh, he was going to cancel the deal if I could not tell him what uh, the horsepower of this Rolls Royce was. And so... He said, well, you know, nobody asked you. He said, yeah, but we don't want to lose this sale. He said, well, let me call headquarters. So the general manager calls headquarters. said, listen, we got a cash chis check for this gentleman. And uh, he, he got the whole amount. We don't want to lose this sale. What he wants to know is the horsepower of this Rolls Royce. And so the man said, uh, go to your fax machine and I'm going to fax it to you. So when he faxes it, he looks at it. And guess what? There's a shock on his face. And because of the shock, the salesman now becomes intrigued because he wants to know, what is the shock on your face about? He said, what does it say? He said, all it says is horsepower sufficient. And somebody wants to know about grace. 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 Grace, I'm sorry, I'm through, is sufficient.